Hey, thanks for joining us here on The House Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this message. If you want to learn more about The House, check out our website at welcometothehouse.com or download The House app. Come on, House family. How y'all feeling this morning? Come on, come on. Well, hey, I'm so glad that you're here. My name is Devin, and so maybe this is like your first Sunday, and you know, you checked us out on the website and Instagram and all that, and you're like, he does not look like the pastor that I saw on Instagram, okay? We were not catfishing you, all right? <laughs> Our pastors are on vacation, and so um, I get to preach this weekend, and I'm excited to bring the word. It's an honor anytime I get to come and, and, and share. Come on, we're going to clap. Let's do it. Let's do it. And, um, you know, I have to give honor where honor is due. Um, you know, in Jeremiah chapter 3, the Bible talks about how God is going to send to them shepherds after his own heart. And so what I can tell you about our pastors is that, like, if, if there was one verse to describe them, that's the one that I would use. They're not perfect. They don't always do it the right way. But what I do know is that they have a heart for people and they have a heart after God's and they will love you and serve you and give to you. And so can we just put our hands together for our pastors, Stephen and Katie? Yeah. So we're in a, we started a new series last week called Preparing for a New Season. Come on, there's something like special about new seasons. In sports, it doesn't matter what team you're a fan of, new seasons bring some hope. Come on. If you're a Raiders fan like Luke, <laughs> it brings hope. Every, every year, Luke gets excited about the Raiders not making the Super Bowl. It's just, it's amazing, okay? It, it's amazing what new seasons bring. And so Pastor Steven started this series last week, um, and he talked about the decision to win. And really, our life is going to boil down to this one decision. Am I going to choose to do it my way, or am I going to choose to do it God's way? And God says that he's laid out the path before us. There's a path to life, and there's a path to destruction, okay? And I don't know anybody in here who's like, yeah, give me some of that destruction, all right? Like, maybe my four-year-old son is like, yeah, I'll take some of that destruction. But, but, but we should choose life. And so if you missed that, that sermon, I would encourage you to go back, listen to that, watch that, because what I'm going to talk about is going to make a whole lot more sense. Uh, let, me say, let me say one more thing real quick. If I start preaching and you just hate it, you don't like it, you got a lot of thoughts about it, okay? You can email me at Stephen, that's S-T-E-P-H-E-N, at welcometothehouse.com. Um, you can send me your song request, like what you wanted to hear us play, all that. He, he, he loves when he gets those emails. I'm just kidding. Don't do that, okay? Because I got to work with this dude, and we live in the same neighborhood, so please don't do that. Um, but, but let's pray before we, we jump into the Word. God, we thank you that we're able to come into your house today. All right now, I just pray for every person um, under the sound of my voice, God, whether we seemingly have our life all put together or we came here as a last-ditch effort to put faith back into you. God, whether we're struggling with drug addiction or our life looks great on Instagram, God, every person in this room you want to speak to. You're no respecter of persons. You're not avoiding some people. There's not issues that you won't touch. And God, today I pray that you would, just, you would speak to us right where we're at. Not because of what I say, but because of what the Holy Spirit is depositing to each and every single one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you got your Bibles, you can go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to look at verse 12 through 16 together. They're going to put it on the screen. If you didn't bring it, it's okay. Just bring it next time. We ain't going to say nothing to you, okay? Uh, <laughs> verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, 
Anybody here perfect? Okay, cool. Anybody raise your hand? Got a problem with lying? Uh, <laughs> but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So this is Paul, and he's writing, and Paul is in prison. And let me just, just right off the bat, okay, if I am in jail, do not expect any essays, theological advice, no like prayers from me, okay, come get me. <laughs> come, come pick me up. We can talk about it on the way back home, but come and get me out of jail. Obviously, I'm being a little funny, but can you imagine the, the weight that Paul must feel in this moment? Like he, he, he's arrested, and this is like close to the end of his life. And no doubt he knows that, like, okay, they've been kind of arresting me routinely. <laughs> they've been kind of beating me and stuff. So, so I'm probably not, not going to be here much longer. And, and I, I think it's interesting the, the language that he chooses. He says, this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and straining forward to what lies ahead. Can I tell you that, that the best part of your life is in front of you? Like, you may feel like I'm really young and I don't know what's going to happen. The, the best part of your life is in front of you. You may have just got married and, and, and you had a kid and you just like in a really busy season. Can I tell you that the best part of your life is in front of you? You may be in your later years and you're like, all oh, my kids are grown. They have moved out the house. I don't know what's next. The best part of your life is in front of you. My assignment today is this, work the weight. Look at somebody and say, work the weight. Come on, I got good news for everybody who's made the decision to win last week. You're on the winning team. Come on, you got the jersey. Come on, they gave you your position. Come on, you got your helmet if you need a helmet. Come on, you got all the equipment that you need to win. You are not a loser anymore, okay? You're not a loser anymore. In the moment that you made this decision that I'm going to be in Jesus, that I'm going to allow Jesus to be the Lord of my life, your spirit was made new, just like Pastor Katie talked about a couple of weeks ago, and now you're working out the rest. And this is what the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 12. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Come on, the great news today is that you've been drafted. It's so funny, like I, I love basketball, and so I'm going to probably make a bunch of basketball references because we talk about seasons, and it just makes sense, okay? So just bear with me. If you hate basketball, I'm sorry. Come next week, we won't talk about it at all, okay? But I love watching the draft, okay? Because what happens at the NBA draft is all the worst teams get the best picks, okay? All the worst teams, they're terrible, they're awful, they barely win any games, and you got to watch these 18 and 19-year-old kids who are studs on the court, who are like killing it in basketball, get drafted by these terrible teams. And they have to, I'm sure some of them are actually excited because they're like, I've been working for the NBA my whole life, yo, I'm just, thank God, and yes, and they're like, they're like crying tears of joy. And then some of them, I watch them, I'm like, okay, I know you lying right now. You are not excited to go to the Oklahoma City Thunder. They are not winning anything for the next 25 years. You are not excited to go there. And then some players get drafted, and before they even get the jersey, they're traded to somebody else. And so I'm sure it's a night full of mixed emotions. But today, you, you're in this room, and you don't have to have mixed emotions about the team that you've been drafted on. Come on. God is not on the losing team. God is not going to trade you away when you get on his nerves. And God is not 
going to allow you to stay in the place that you're at right now. So we can be excited when we come to church. Come on, we can lift our hands and sing. Come on, we can, we can greet somebody and step out of our comfort zone, not because of how great we are, but because the team that we've been drafted on. Come on, is anybody glad that you're not on the team that you used to be? Come on. Y'all gonna, y'all gonna have to help me. Y'all gonna have to help me today. However, um, and we're just gonna have to talk about it right up front. Just because you're on the winning team doesn't mean that the wins are automatic. God has promised you victories, but that doesn't mean that they're automatic. Come on, the Bible is full of if you're in Jesus, then you have X, Y, Z, you have access to all these things, but, but it's not automatic. Just because you've been drafted onto a team doesn't mean that the wins start piling up. See, I call it the debt of winning. <laughs> so you made the decision of winning, but now there's a, there's a debt to winning, okay? And so all the Dave Ramsey fans just like breathe real quick. I'm not talking about like getting to the day, okay? So just take a deep breath. But winning comes at a cost. Winning is not free. There is no success in life without sacrifice. I don't know how you bought your house, <laughs> but for me, we had to go to a lender and say, this is the house we want and this is how much it costs. This is how much money we have right now to be able to give you. This is how much money we make and how long we've made it. This is how good we have been in the past at paying other people their money back, okay? What, what were we trying to prove? That we can take on the debt that comes with owning this thing. And it's not just with homes, it's with anything. <laughs> Kids come with a debt. They are blessings, but, but they come with work. Come on, marriages Come on, they come with a debt. They are, it's a blessing to be married. Come on, all the husbands should be like, hallelujah. I'm trying to help you out, okay? But it's a little work. <laughs> you don't just get to show up on game day, throw on your jersey, and think that it's going to be free for you to win. There's a debt that has to be paid. There's a debt associated with the purchase. Look at what Jesus tells his disciples in, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. It says, then Jesus told his disciples... If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. See, being on the winning team comes with a cost. And if anyone ever understood this, it was Jesus. Like the ultimate victory in our lives comes because Jesus was willing to pay the price of his own life. And as Paul is is, is writing this letter to the church in Philippi, I have to think that in the back of his mind, he's thinking of all the payments, come on, all the debt he has paid. You don't have to read a lot of the Bible to see all that happens to Paul. You just got to go to Acts and read a few chapters, and you see this dude was getting jacked up, okay? So he starts off, he's, he's persecuting Christians, so really not on the right foot, okay? He's not, really on, he's not really on the right team. He has this awesome moment where he's blinded, and he gets on the right team. But then in Acts chapter 9, he, he's arguing with Jews, and, and, and they're thinking, how can we kill this man? <laughs> you know it's a heated argument when people are like, how can I kill you? Acts chapter 13, he's driven out of where he's ministering by Jews again. In Acts chapter 14, he's stoned and and dragged out of the city. And it's so bad that they think this dude is dead, but instead he gets up and he's like, we got to go back into that city. And at that point, if I'm with Paul, I'm like, you got to go back into that city. I'm going back to my mama house because you're crazy. (laughs) In Acts chapter 16, he's stripped and beaten with rods and and thrown in prison. Like Paul understands that there is a cost to the calling of God on my life. Now, now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that you have to pay for your salvation. That's free. I'm not saying that you have to pay for God's mercy or love or anything. Like, that is free. You didn't do anything to earn that, and you can't do anything to earn that. But the calling of God on your life should be a little weighty. 
Like it, like it should take you something. It should, it, should, it should cause you to sacrifice something. Anytime I win, it should cause me to sacrifice something. The only time I win and it's easy is when I am playing basketball against my four-year-old son. <laughs> That's easy. It doesn't, it doesn't cost me anything, but those victories are cheap. Like I'm not really putting pictures of that up on the wall like, yeah, I remember that day, you know, <laughs> when I destroyed my four-year-old son. But, but what do you do when there's a gap? Like when you know, okay, I got to pay this cost and I'm supposed to be a winner. But if I'm just being real, my everyday life <laughs> does not look that victorious. <laughs> Come on, I got bills that I cannot pay. I'm in situations that I don't know what to do. I'm depressed or I'm anxious or I'm, or I'm in this moment where I really, I really don't know the next step. And I know that I'm, I'm supposed to do this and I'm, I'm going through the motions of what people are telling me to do, but it's still not working. Okay, and I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just pause right here before I answer your question and confess something about myself, okay? I cannot cook, okay? I am a terrible, terrible cook. Like, if I cook, you will throw up, okay? Not, not every time, okay? I've gotten a little better over the years, and there are things that I'm good at, okay? And I'm just one of those people that I'm gonna find what I'm good at, and I'm gonna just pretty much do that. Making people laugh, if you hang out with me all day, we might not do nothing adventurous. I don't wanna go hiking, I don't wanna do nothing that. But I, like, we're going to laugh. If we watch a funny movie, like, we're going to laugh. I can communicate. There, like, there are things that I'm good at. But cooking <laughs> is not one of them. But, and this is what happened. I got spoiled, Wes. I got spoiled. Because when me and Sydney were dating, um, she was in culinary school, okay? Sydney was in culinary school. So I thought, man, I'm winning. Like, oh, yeah, my girl in culinary school. And um, so she was in culinary school for, like, baking and pastries, okay? And so my whole diet <laughs> while we were dating was, like, leftover Sydney homework. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, she would bring her croissants to the house. And I'm like, ooh, I like croissants. She would bring macaroons. I never had a macaroon before. It don't taste like nothing, but I like it. Uh, <laughs> She's bringing cakes, and so, like, my whole diet is this, and I'm thinking, like, in the back of my mind, oh, yeah, we are winning. Like, she cute, and she could throw down. Oh, yes, my mama is going to love her, okay? But when we got to marriage counseling, they were like, yeah, Cindy can't do all the cooking, bro. Like, you, like, you have to do something, and so Pastor Stephen told me, you need, you need five good things that you know how to make, and I was like, okay, I could do five things. I was like, is that five meals or just five items? Because, like, and so I started with bacon and eggs, okay? Was the bacon a little raw at first? You know what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it was. Were the eggs a little crunchy? Absolutely. But over time, Sydney worked with me, and we got bacon and eggs down. The next thing on my list was like burgers and steaks, okay? I was like, okay, I'm a man. I'm a grown man, and I need to at least be able to make an edible <laughs> burger and an edible steak. It ain't going to be the best thing that you ever had. It ain't Longhorn. <laughs> it ain't Longhorn, Okay. <laughs> But it's edible. It don't taste terrible, and you can get through it. If you're, a na- if you're like a guest in my house, it's good enough for you to be polite to me, okay? <laughs> so then I got a little bit more adventurous. I'm from Louisiana. If you don't know that, come on, go Tigers. Come on, we're we, we from Louisiana, and Louisiana has the best food. I don't care what state you're from. The food is trash in your state. In Louisiana, <laughs> the food is awesome, okay? And so I was like, I'm about to call my mama, and I'm going from the steaks, and I'm about to learn how to make gumbo, okay? So... So it took me about four, five, six, seven, eight batches of gumbo until we finally got like an edible, decent version of gumbo. And we invited some people over and they ate it. And you know how it is like when you cook something for the first time for people, you kind of like, do they like it? Are they, are they pretending to like it? Is this really disgusting? And so uh, they actually liked it. So it was okay. And then I was like, all right, next up, ribs. It's time. <laughs> 
it's time for the ribs. I got the burger, I got the steak, and it's time for the ribs, okay? So it's Thanksgiving, y'all. I, I do hot steaks. I don't play. So the, my first time ever making ribs, I'm like, we're going to do it on Thanksgiving. <laughs> this, this is perfect. We're going to do it on Thanksgiving. We're hosting Thanksgiving this year. And so all of Sydney's family comes over. And I want to pause and just say, culturally, my background and Sydney's background, you know what I'm saying? We do Thanksgiving a little bit different. Her family is a little bit lighter than most of my family, okay? And so in my family, when they say we're going to eat about 3 o'clock, what they mean is they're going to be putting stuff in the oven <laughs> at 3 o'clock. So we're going to, you know what I'm saying, chill, play dominoes, hang out, shoot some ball, and then we're going to eat it about 7. But Sydney's family, if they say you're eating at 1 o'clock, that means everybody's showing up at 8.30 to start prepping, and so the house got to be clean and all that. And, and I'm not really the person that's going to think through all of that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to think it through. And so, of course, I woke up a little bit late, but it's all good. I had the ribs in the refrigerator. And then we do like this flag football game every Thanksgiving. So, you know, I was like, oh, I'll get to the ribs later. And so I, I go and play flag football and I get back and we got like an hour and a half left before Thanksgiving lunch is about to happen. And Sydney is like, Devin, I don't know what you think you're about to do, but uh, you ain't start making them ribs yet. And we got to have those. I was like, no, it ain't no big deal. Because I know you're supposed to like cook them slow. But I mean... What's the difference? If I, if I do 200 degrees for two hours or however long, can I just multiply the temperature by two and divide the time in half? Yeah, you know that's stupid, but I did not. And so, that's what I did. I cooked the fastest ribs you have ever had in your life. Were they delicious? Absolutely not. <laughs> the outside was terrible, it was crunchy, the inside, it was all like still stuck together. I'm pretty sure it was raw. And like it was, this was the worst experience of my life, but I learned something very valuable. And I've made ribs again since then. Nick and Shelby came over. They ate them. And I know Shelby going to tell the truth. If they nasty, she's going to be like, yeah, Dev, this ain't it. And so she didn't say that. So I'm going to just take that as they were amazing. And so I learned this lesson. You can have the right ingredients. Come on, you can put it in the right place. You can have everything that you need, but some things just take time. Like some things just have to cook a little bit slower. Most of you have a recipe from your mom or your grandma that takes like two and a half days and three business days or something to make it. And it's the best meal ever. Why? Because some things are just better once they take a little bit of time. And so for you today, when you have a gap, you're just going to have to wait. <laughs> and so in order to win, you'll have to wait. And I know this is like a cuss word to some of us <laughs> because we live in like the fastest, most instant society ever. You don't have to leave your house for nothing. And I love it. <laughs> you can order groceries and they will be there. <laughs> you can order food. You can have someone come and pick you up in an Uber. Like you can just throw your food in the microwave and two minutes later, and that's the only way I cook really <laughs> is microwave. You know what I'm saying? Let me get that popcorn. Let me get, that, let me get them noodles. Okay. Some of you have it so good that you got to be at work at 9 a.m. <laughs> and you roll out of your bed at 8.57 with crust in your eye because you work from home. And you're just like, yeah, let me just get this. And then you on the Zoom call looking put together in three minutes. Like we don't have to go anywhere. And, that, and that's awesome and it's convenient. But if we take that and we try to apply that same mentality to our relationship with God, we're going to be disappointed because God is not always instant. God is not always doing things on the same timeline that we have them. And so in an effort to constantly be on to the next thing, um, we've gotten a little impatient. And I think it's interesting that, that out of all the things that, that Paul could have told these people, he says, I forget what's behind me and I strain for what's ahead of me. 
Like, that's the one thing you do? <laughs> I mean, I would think the one thing you would do is be like looking out for rods and whips and stones because those have been getting you a lot, Paul. I think the one thing you would do would be to, you know, preach the gospel or the one thing that, that you do to be like come up with schemes to get out of prison or the one thing that, like out of all the things you could have said, this is the one thing I do. He says that I strain towards the calling of Jesus upward. And you don't strain for anything unless there's some anticipation. You don't strain for anything unless you've been in waiting for a little while. You don't strain unless there's something on the other side. And so the truth of the matter is this. We all will wait on God for something. You'll wait on God for a new job. You'll wait on God for a new relationship. You'll wait on God for more opportunity. Um, You'll wait on God for your first child or another child. Um, You'll wait on God um, to answer the calling of God on your life. Like there's just... There's just seasons of your life where you will wait. And if you have never had to wait before, (laughs) just wait. (laughs) Because it's coming. And so the question of our life is not, will I wait on God? It's how will I wait on God? Like, how am I going to do this? And I'm so glad that that's a question because that's the only question I brought an answer to today. So if you got a question about anything else, um, I don't know. (laughs) But this is what you should do while you wait. You should work. You should work. And, And... I just got to talk to my millennial friends real quick. And I know, don't hate me. Don't DM me on Instagram because I will block you, okay? And I know this doesn't, I know this doesn't apply to everybody, okay? So I'm just going to say a blanket statement. You could like, you know what I'm saying, eat the fish, spit out the bone. That's how the saying goes, okay? So millennials, we, we should not be looking for ways to get out of work. <laughs> we should be looking for ways to make our work meaningful. If you have hated every job <laughs> you've ever had, <laughs> It ain't the jobs, bro. (laughs) It may be the fact, and I'm not going to talk for you, okay? I'm going to just talk about me. I used to be so lazy. I'm a recovering lazy person, okay? I'm going to be honest with you. I am a recovering lazy person. I did not want to work. I wanted people to pay me to do very little. (laughs) And when I did a, a little bit more, I wanted people to pay me a lot more. But that's not how life works, (laughs) That's not how it works. And you are not designed to rest six days <laughs> and work one. <laughs> it's, it's the opposite. And so I see a lot of like Instagram influencers being like, oh, you just need to rest and your self-care and your cucumbers on your eyes and you just need to be chilling. And that's good for one day a week. <laughs> but for the other six days, you need to wake up. You need to show up on the time that you said you were going to show up. You need to leave when you said you were going to leave. You need to not scroll on Instagram for two hours. Like you need to actually put in some work. Okay, and so I, I can hear the, the super spiritual people in, 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 in the back of my mind being like, well, Jesus did the finished work on the cross, so, you know, we should just be living in peace and harmony and just doing what we love to do. And um, salvation is free, mercy is free, grace is free. All those things are free, but you cannot take that to the electricity company and go, listen, bro, I know I'm a couple weeks late, but I got this salvation and mercy and grace that I want to extend to you. <laughs> They're going to be like, that's cool. I already go to church down the street, but I still got to come cut your lights off. (laughs) Because that's that's not how life works. We have to stop living for the weekend and start developing a work ethic. Okay? And and so some of us have this theology that, that work is like a curse. Okay, and so the only reason we work is because in the garden, Adam and Eve sinned, and then they were told they have to work. And we go to Genesis chapter 2 real quick. We're going to look at two verses. Genesis chapter 2, we're going to look at verse 5, and we're going to skip down to verse 15. Genesis chapter 2, verse 5 says this, Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, 
and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. Not there was no one to praise his name. (laughs) Not there was no one to speak in tongues. (laughs) Not there was no one to show up to church. Even though all those things are awesome, all those things are amazing, like don't stop doing those things. But God was not withholding (laughs) growth (laughs) because you weren't here to sing yet. (laughs) He was withholding growth because there was no one to work the ground. All right, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. By the way, no one has sinned yet, so this is not, like, this ain't a curse. (laughs) Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So these two verses teach us two truths about work. One, you're most likely not waiting for God (laughs) to bring growth into your life. He's probably waiting on you to show up to start doing the work. The second truth is this. Your primary responsibility in life is to work and take care of the territory God has given you. Now, some of you have gardens, and that's awesome. Some of you do not. You're like, I ain't got no garden. I live in an apartment. (laughs) Well, then that's your garden. (laughs) The people that are under your influence, that's your garden. Like your role on the team here at church, that's your garden. Like if you're the door greeter, that should be the most fruitful place (laughs) In the church. Like people should come through that door one way, and on the other side of that door, they leave the other way. Like if you're on the worship team, like that's your garden. Like whatever God has put in your hands that you are able to use, that is the garden that He's asking you to work and to keep. Come on, so you gotta work it and you gotta keep it. You gotta work it and you gotta keep it. You gotta work it. But it doesn't say, hey, this is an awesome garden, and because I love you, I'm not gonna make you do anything. So you just, you can just chill right now. This is awesome. No, a good father would not do that. It's good for you to have something meaningful to put your hand to. This, like a couple weeks ago, my son is like, he's signing up to play soccer, okay? He's four years old, and so I got voluntold that I am teaching his, I'm coaching his soccer team, okay? Really, I'm just going to be wrangling four-year-olds, because let's be honest, they ain't listening to nothing I'm about to say. And so my wife was like, it's this amount of money, and so we decided this dude is going to do a lemonade stand. Now, it, did he really work that much? Nah. Like, as soon as his friends came, he was like, we're going to go be Batman. I'm like, if Batman's selling lemonade, you could be Batman. <laughs> but I'm teaching him that you don't just get stuff <laughs> because you're in my house. We can do the bare necessities. <laughs> but if you want extra, if you want more, I'm not making you foot the whole bill. Like, come on, I got, like, I got the money to sign you up for soccer, but you're going to have to work a little bit. And for you, in order for you to win in the season while you're waiting, you're going to have to work. And this is not just something that's seen in Genesis. This is all throughout the Bible. Come on, while Noah was waiting on the flood to happen that God told him about, he still had to build an ark. While Abraham waits on a son, he still has to move to a whole different land. While Joseph is waiting on this dream that God gave him to come to pass, he still has to go and work for a man named Potiphar. While David is in the field, after being anointed king, he's waiting for his moment to really step into it. He's taking care of his father's sheep. Jesus takes on flesh and has to wait 33 years to answer the mission on his life, but he still walks around doing the work of the one who sent him and fulfilling prophecy. And while we are, are, are waiting on Jesus to return, come on, full of glory, we are to be working, bringing as many people into the family, bringing as many people onto the team as we can. So there is work in the waiting. Look at somebody and say, you got to work while you wait. 
And the great, oh, come on, we're going we to have to work on that, okay, because that was weak, okay? You got to look at somebody else. We got to do it again. Look at somebody else. Maybe you like them more or something. I don't know what's going on with you, but say you got to work while you wait. Okay, that was, that, that was a little bit better. And this is the great thing about working while you wait. I don't know if you've ever had those, like, slow days at work when there ain't really much going on. That don't really happen in my job, okay? What is this game? I'm always working. I'm always doing everything, Pastor Stevens. So you see me? I'm just working, doing awesome stuff, and just coming up with new ways to reach people and stuff. But, but, <laughs> but it's the, if you've never had anything to do, doesn't it make the time go by so slow? <laughs> And you get more anxious and you get more like, oh, I just can't wait for this to happen. I've been waiting all day for this to, 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 for us to just do something. This last week, we've been on like a staycation. And so uh, my wife has felt that. Not me. I've just been taking naps. But, but Sydney is like, we got to do something. It's, it's going to kill me if we don't do anything. And so it's better to work because it, it gets you to where you need to go a little bit faster. And can I tell you this? It's worth it. The work is worth it. You may be looking at all the things that you have to do right now and thinking, man, it's going to be so long before I'm ever able to see the fruits of this labor. And can I just tell you that it's worth it to start right now. It's, it, it, it's worth it to, to start making the decisions to win. It's worth it to start paying the debt to win right now. I was talking about the NBA earlier, and I, and I was talking about the rookies, and, and me and Pastor Stephen were at lunch last week, and he was just like, you know, I wonder how many of these, like, rookies that are drafted and are supposed to be these superstar players, like, in the first year, like, how impactful are they? And I started to think, like, Man, they may be impactful, but they're not winning championships. Like even LeBron James, who like everybody has heard of in his rookie year, they didn't, they didn't win a championship. Kobe Bryant didn't win a championship his rookie year. Like you can name like your favorite player in their rookie year, they didn't really do much. And really when I start to look at it like the last five years, because I ain't have like all day to be looking at this stuff, okay? So you just got to let my basketball nerd come out a little bit. But um, the last five NBA champions, um, Zero of them had rookies that they drafted in that season that actually played minutes in the finals, like significant minutes. In fact, I only saw like one person that scored two points, and that was Moses Moody. Shout out to the Hogs. I don't really like them, but hey, it is what it is. But in the last five years, exactly zero of those rookies that they drafted played a significant role in the finals. But if you look at those same teams and you just think, okay, what, what about the players that they drafted more than two years ago? Almost all of those teams, except for one, had players on their team that played star roles that they had drafted in the past. So what, like, what does basketball have to do with you? You may have to make some decisions right now that they're not going to pay off tomorrow. They're not going to pay off this week. You won't see your return on that for this next year. But in 10 years, it'll make all the difference in your life. See, you're not going to sign up for a life group this year because your first, at your first day of life group, you're going to get saved, healed, redeemed, restored, and everything that you need to live victorious in Jesus Christ. That's, if that happens at your first life group, let me know what life group that is, and I want to come to that life group. You're not going to sign up and start serving on the team because that's going to fix all of your problems today. You're not going to start, like, praying with your family every night because, like, the roof on your house is going to blow off and the wind of the Holy Spirit is going to take all of you away it's not going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> you, like, you're not going to make decisions because of the right now. You're going to make decisions because of something that's going to happen later on. Like, you're going to have to decide that it's going to be worth the work right now because it's going to pay off in the long run. Like, you don't start tithing right now for right now. <laughs> you start tithing right now for the fruit that is going to be produced later on. You're going to submit your life to Jesus right now because of the fruit that is going to produce. And some things will immediately change. Like your mindset may immediately change. Your spirit may immediately be, become, be made new. But there are some things in your soul and in your body that are going to take time to change. 
All of these things are going to take work, but all of these things are worth it if you wait the right way. You just got on the team. So if, you, like if you're a rookie, come on, you just got on the team. You just signed up. You just started making the decision to win. You probably won't win for a while, or at least it won't look like you're winning for a while. But I promise you, if you just stick with it, when you decide, you know what, I'm going to have some perseverance. I'm not going to let three no's turn me away. I'm not going to let five no's turn me away. But I'm going to continue to work in my marriage. I'm going to continue to work in our parenting. And, th- and this is why we say, uh, don't give us a service. Give us a year. Because to fix you today, we don't have a prayer for that. <laughs> we don't have a prayer <laughs> for that. We don't have a sermon good enough for that. We don't have anything like that to, to make you win in every area of your life today. But what we do have is some concepts that if over time you'll begin to implement, they will change your life in 10 years. This is not something that I just read out of the Bible and was like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to preach that. <laughs> but I met Pastor Stephen when I was 18 years old. And um, when I was 19... Going on 20, I moved up to Hot Springs because I was like, you know what? I feel like I'm called to ministry. He called me. He was like, hey, I feel like this is something you should do. And so I moved in with him. And that was seven years ago. And there have been seasons where it has felt like, I don't know what I'm waiting on, (laughs) but I'm just, I'm waiting on the next thing. And I get it. I have to work. And I've been working. And I've been working a lot. And it feels like nothing is changing. And it's all started when I, when I went to my sophomore year of college, I moved like back to Natchitoches and, and, and I got a job as a janitor at a church, right? <laughs> I got a job as a janitor at a church. Now, I ain't never feel called to janitorial duties, okay? <laughs> I feel like God told me, <laughs> preach and lead young people to Jesus. That's what I heard. <laughs> but the offer that I got <laughs> was clean toilets <laughs> and scrub floors. But I said, you know what? It's, it's worth it to do this now because I'm going to be able to be around ministry. And so I started doing that. And was I, like, extremely good at it? No. <laughs> I was awful. <laughs> but, I, but I committed myself to that season. And then I moved up here and, and started working for Be The One. And, and I was sleeping on a cot in the office. And so I was putting in, like, hours because it was eight hours of sleep and then eight hours of work. So I'm putting in 16 hours a day, okay? I'm putting in, I'm grinding. And I didn't know one thing about leading a mission strip, and he was like, hey, you got to call these car washes and, and see if we can come and do a car wash for free. And I was like, okay, it's free. How hard can this be? And everybody said no. <laughs> and then I would work half the day in the office, and then he would have, like, some project. Like, I painted his railing on his house, and I'm like, dude, I ain't no painter. Like, what? He was teaching me the value of, of work, of work ethic. Like, you, you don't just get to sit around and just receive things, but you have to get up, and you have to actually put in work while you're waiting on God. And then we, then we move here, and he's like, okay, you got to get a job and you got to get an apartment and you got to like, you got to figure this out. And so I, I, I take the first job that I get. I just apply to places on Indeed and Slim Chickens called me. I was like, yep, <laughs> I need some money. <laughs> I went and bought a bike and I would ride my bike 30 minutes to work, work, ride it by, back, come to church. At that time, I was like leading the kids church. I ain't never felt called <laughs> to kids under the age of 12. But we didn't have no teenagers. <laughs> All we had was six-year-olds. <laughs> We had Stephen's family and one other girl. And so I said, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit myself to this season of work. Did I do it right every day? No. On my first day, I played MC Hammer. Can't touch this. I was like, yo, this, this is godly. I don't know what you're talking about. I was leading kids' church, playing bass, doing announcements. There was one Sunday where I did all three of those things, and Pastor Stephen was like, all right, bro, you can't, like, you, you can't do all that. 
and I'm not doing any of those things. I've let the creative seem like I'm not doing any of those things anymore because they were just a season in my life. And I'm not telling you this to say, oh man, look at all the talents that Devin has. I was bad at all of those when I started. Like every single one of them. But what could your life look like in just like five years if you decided in this next season of waiting, I'm not just going to sit on my hands and wait for God to do something, but I'm actually going to take what he's already given me and I'm going to start to use it. I'm going to start to use what's been put in my hand to serve God because the work is going to be worth it. The wait is going to be worth it and your life is going to be forever changed because everything about my life is different. I didn't grow up in a house with, with a mom and a dad. I grew up in a house with a single mom and nine other kids. And now I'm able to live in a home where my wife loves me and I'm raising my son to follow Jesus. And, and we're not going to do it all right. I'm not. But it's different. And it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what your last season looks like. I'm just asking you to forget that. It may have been a great season. It may have been a terrible season. It does not matter anymore. This new season that you're looking at is going to take some work. And for most of us, I've learned that we actually don't have a work problem and we don't have a weight problem. And this is how I know this. Because the same thing that makes me lazy is the same thing that makes me work too hard and become a workaholic. The same thing that makes me anxious about the future and ready for the next season is the same thing that makes me dread when the seasons change. And that is a lack of trust in God. And so you, you may not be lazy. I'm sorry for calling you that. But you may not trust God. And so you think your work doesn't matter because God doesn't see you. <laughs> and you think that it's going to take a thousand years or a year or whatever. And it doesn't matter because God doesn't see you, but he sees you right where you're at and you can trust him. I have been locked in my house for the last five days with my four-year-old son. And if you have a four-year-old, you know that the requests and the questions do not stop. And it's the same one over and over. Daddy, can I get that toy? Daddy, can I get that toy? Daddy, can you give me that toy? Daddy, can I get that toy? Hey, daddy, I want that toy. Hey, daddy, can I get that toy? And I've already told this dude, yes, give me a minute. And he's still, can I have that? Can I have that? Can I have that? Can I have that? And finally, I looked at Sydney and I was like, you're going to have to do something with him. Because <laughs> he just keeps repeating himself. And I'll give him the toy. And it'll be great. Silence. Ha. <sighs> and 30 minutes later, he wants something else. Can I have some lemonade? And I'm like, sure, I'll get it in a minute. And it's like he has amnesia. <laughs> because he does the same thing. Even though the last time he asked me for something, the last time I told him I was going to do something for him, I did it. It's like he forgets and he has to do the same routine or he thinks that I'm not going to follow through on my promises. And isn't it funny that we do the same thing with God? God, can I have that? God, can I have that? God, can I do that? And he, he's already given you the promises. Like you already have those. You don't have to keep, you don't have to keep circling back <laughs> to know if he's still going to do it. He is faithful to see his promises through. And the God that started the work in you is faithful to see it through completion. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 8 and 9 says this. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Come on, you can trust God with the season that you're waiting on him. In the meantime, find some meaningful work to put your hand to, because it's, you have to work the wait. You have to work the wait. As we close today, there's just two groups of people I want to pray for. And, and both of these groups I relate to. The first group is going to be people, you feel like you're waiting on God for something. And while I've had to wait for God in different seasons for different things, and, and I've seen him 
come through on his promises, it's still hard. Like right now, and we've talked about this before, but me and my wife are waiting for us to have another kid. And so it can feel like, it can easily feel like, man, I've been praying for this for two years or, or, or three years, and this is what God really wants. And even though I know that he wants me to be fruitful and multiply, it's easy to be like, man, I don't, this isn't working. And I don't know, I don't know what I should be doing right now. And it's, it's easy to get discouraged when it's easy to be anxious. It's so easy, just like that. You grew up in church your whole life and you never dealt with that thing. But there's something that God is having you wait on. And now all of a sudden it's taking you to a place of like, man, do I really, do I really trust God? I know I stand up in front of people and, and, I, and I say I do, but do I, do I really put everything that I have in God's hands? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear how this message impacted you. Feel free to let us know on the Contact Us tab of the house website. We hope you have a great week.